Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Welcome to it, the Corner 3 on 93.7 Ticket, the TicketFM.com, and all over the place. You got it on the app for your phone. It's free. Download it. Big things coming there. Get it uh, now. Get used to it. Get ready early because, again, big things coming with it this fall. Also on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and, of course, Allo Channel 951. 402-464-5685 if you have any college basketball-related questions. Uh, we are going to stick as much as we can to college basketball tonight. I uh, have, have had plenty of time today to dissect everything going on out in Evanston uh, with Pat Fitzgerald uh, and the Northwestern football program, uh, baseball program, about to be thrown into that conversation as well under Jim Foster. But the goal uh, for this next hour is to focus it on college basketball. Uh, of course, though, being inspired by what's going on out in Evanston, Matt and Landon will join me shortly. I tasked them with something different. With the, the scandal going on out at Northwestern, I thought, why not take a look back at some college basketball scandals? There have been plenty. Uh, there, there are plenty different of, of flavors, I guess, of scandals, as you might call them, in college basketball. Um... The guys let me know what they have cooked up, but just know we will be uh, talking some college basketball scandals. Probably not a shock, the one that I came up with. It does uh, relate, of course, to uh, Tobacco Road, uh, that, that kind of triangle out there. And uh, if that doesn't give it away, stay tuned for next segment. Before we get into the scandals, though, before we bring uh, Landon and Matt into the show, I want to go over Peach Jam a little bit. Peach Jam down in Georgia, one of, if not the largest AAU tournaments in the nation. Uh, probably the essentially summer meetings for college coaches. Every college coach or at least every college program passes through Peach Jam at some point. It's where all the best players, you know, go to play over the summer. The biggest tournament hosted, I believe, in the Atlanta area. So it, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal if you you perform well, you perform poorly out at Peach Jam. And this year's show was really stolen by three players. The first one, who's uh, still a couple years away from college, A.J. DeBansa. Um, he'll be playing his high school ball, I believe, at uh, Premier. So, uh, Prolific Prep. Sorry, yeah, Prolific Prep is the one. He put on a show. He got buckets up and down the court, uh, averaged 25.8 points per game uh, across five games, scored 30 twice, and he was even playing up. So playing a year ahead of his classification, he ended up dropping uh, those 26 points per game, which is incredible. But he's still a couple years away from college basketball. Really the headlining stars of Peach Jam this year uh, were Cooper Flag and then the Boozer Twins. Uh, we'll start with the, the Boozers because you might know that last name. Carlos Boozer uh, played at Duke, went on to have a solid NBA career. Uh, he has twins, twin sons that are in the 2025 recruiting class, so they won't be there in college um, in two seasons. Well, I guess not this next season or the 24 season, but that next season. Uh, the twins are Cameron Boozer and Caden Boozer. Cameron's the number one overall player in the class right now, 6'9". 215, a, a versatile type of forward, uh, 
has the ability to stretch it outside, physical type of presence. Uh, he's been the number one player in the class for, for quite some time down there at uh, Chris Columbus High in Miami. It was a good weekend for uh, for Cameron Boozer. Um, again, 6'9", 215, 15 and a half points, 11 rebounds, and 4.7 assists per game. Uh, as a forward, just incredible numbers. Uh, the Knight Riders is the uh, the team that they play on. Uh, the 16U bracket, they won for the second year in a row. Um, his twin brother, Caden, though, was the one that took over in the final game. Um, he's a 6'3", 190-ish pound point guard. Again, they, they go to the same school, but play different positions. So uh, the Boozers are highly sought after. Cameron is the top-rated player in that class. Caden, uh, though, the Peach Jam MVP and rated 13th in the class. They they did say recently that they're absolutely not Duke locks, that they're going through the process. Um, they might go to the same school. They might not. They're going to they're gonna take the recruiting process all the way through to its end, right? See everything they can about as many campuses as they're allowed to visit and pick the best place for them individually, right? They're not necessarily a package deal and not necessarily Duke locks. I, I still tend to believe... They would be Duke leans. I, I would like to think. I mean, I know Carlos Boozer still has ties back to the program. And really, it comes down to, I would think, John Shire not falling flat on his face, right? We've seen John Shire's recruiting ability for eight, nine years now. Uh, I forget exactly when he joined the Duke staff. But ever since he was added to Mike Krzyzewski's staff, he's been one of the lead recruiters. Um, from Chicago, he, he was a big part on, of getting Jalil Okafor to Duke, but we saw Duke not miss a beat in recruiting with Mike Krzyzewski gone. Uh, John Shire's first class, yeah, did only reach the second round of the NCAA tournament, but still did work on the recruiting side of things. And more often than not, that leads to good results. So I would still say the Boozers are a Duke lean, but absolutely not, you know, counting them before they're officially in the Duke basketball bar. And the other guy... I mentioned that really took over Peach Jam. You might have seen some of his highlights, maybe an Instagram or Twitter post about him. And that's Cooper Flagg. Cooper Flagg playing for Maine United. Yes, Maine, the state of Maine. Not a hotbed of basketball talent. Um, Cooper Flagg put on an absolute show um, at Peach Jam. Across the same, I believe, five or six games, Cooper Flagg goes for 25.5 points, 13 rebounds, five and a half assists, and seven blocks per game. He also had two triple-doubles. The triple-doubles, though, were with blocks. Not even with rebounds or assists, with blocks. Just insane. It's not like Cooper Flagg is, you know, some Victor Wembenyama-level physical prospect with his height. No, Cooper Flagg's 6'8", 200. Similar size to Cameron Boozer, a little smaller. Um, still maybe working on the skill part a little bit. But to put up multiple triple-doubles against, you know, your age group is impressive. To do it with blocks, even more impressive. I mean, that's some, like, David Robinson, Tim Duncan quadruple-double type stuff we just haven't seen, you know, consistently in a long time. And, and Cooper Flagg doesn't have any real notable prospect on his team besides him. I even went back and looked. Like, maybe Maine is some sneaky basketball hotbed that I don't know about. It's really not. The only player on this list that I had heard of in, in men's basketball was Duncan Robinson. Yeah, Duncan Robinson of the Heat. Started in D3, went to Michigan, played his way up. Um, he's one of them. The other one on the women's side is Mackenzie Holmes. 
uh, who played at Indiana, had a really good uh, career there. Uh, unanimous first team All-American this last year. So Maine, not exactly a, a basketball hotbed in terms of talent. And to see Cooper flag really put his main team on his back and carry them to the finals is impressive. Yeah, they lost to the, the Knight Riders, the Boozer Twins in the finals, but just an absolutely incredible showing from him. And I learned today, uh, thanks to an article I read about the recap, Cooper Flagg grew up a Duke fan. Do I need to say anything else? He's going to Duke. Okay, again, not going to count it till he's actually in the fold, but I feel very confident in Duke's chances to land Cooper Flagg the one kind of detriment, maybe two, that I'll throw out there is UConn just winning a national title. Obviously, that would be closer to home um, playing in stores than it would in Durham, if that means something to him. But I tend to think that doesn't, given that Cooper Flag is playing his high school ball down at Montverde Academy, Montverde down in Florida. So I, I would think that being away from home wouldn't necessarily bother Cooper Flag. The other part of it comes down to a basketball aspect, and that's that as I look at this current Duke men's basketball roster, there's not really a guy like Cooper Flagg on it. There's not a, a scoring wing on it like Cooper Flagg has the ability to be. Probably the guy most similar to him is Mark Mitchell, and that's a stretch. Mark, Mark Mitchell, a terrific perimeter defender, moves his feet really well, picks the spots on offense. Cooper Flagg, I think, already is a better offensive player than, than Mark Mitchell is, um, and more of a weak side, help side type defender, more so uh, than the on-ball defender um, that I'd classify Mark Mitchell as. So if another place has wings out there that they can point to a more defined role for, maybe they can sell Cooper Flagg on having that, but it's not like Duke hasn't had him in the past. With your Jason Tatums, uh, your Brandon Ingrams, even Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett to a degree, but I don't think that those are the exact type of players that I would, you know, use to sell Cooper Flag on in his role at Duke. Um, because especially if you, you mentioned the Boozers and Flag being in the same class, that is something that obviously as a Duke fan I would enjoy. But even as just a basketball guy, seeing guys with that sort of positional flexibility where Flag can play the three and the four, uh, Boozer three and the four, maybe slide up to the five if he grows another inch or two as well. But to have that level of skill out on the wing that you can slide down to the block that you can use in, in ball screen actions, the kind of horns action that Dukes really like to run recently. It's fascinating. Of course, programs all over the country are, are in on these guys. I know Kentucky's making a push for all those guys. UConn was spotted at Cooper Flags games as well. North Carolina, even in the mix, which uh, it pains me to say. I'm not a fan of it, but it, it has to be has to be shared, and it has to happen for North Carolina. That would be a huge boon for them to be able to steal a, a, a at least one of the boozers out from under Duke. I mean, we know all too well in Nebraska that last name doesn't guarantee anything. Um, in sports, in terms of getting guys to campus, but it sure as heck doesn't hurt. So a fantastic Peach Jam event, uh, definitely seeing some of the, the top talent in the country show out at that tournament, and you'll you'll hear the names Boozer, Flag, and DeBansa again in the years to come. All right, we're going to step aside right here. We'll bring in Landon and Matt. They are waiting patiently on the stream. Again, I tasked them with finding their favorite. Might not be the best way to phrase it, but uh, pick a college basketball scandal that sticks out to them. The scandal that sticks out to me, I'll, I'll give it away right now. I didn't know that there was such a thing as the beach amid 
I, I learned that thanks to them earlier this week. Long Beach State uh, plays its games in a pyramid. No, I'm just kidding. That's not actually the scandal that we're going to get into. But we'll break some college basketball scandals down when we continue here on the Corner 3. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. We're back here on the Corner 3, 93.7 The Ticket, theticketfm.com. Joined by the fellas, Matt and Landon. Um, Guys, we'll jump into the scandals in just a sec, but we are here in early July, and there is more going on than anyone can keep track of. It is kind of insane, kind of ridiculous, and... College sports just need to chill. I'm just going to say, chill out just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) We we (laughs) need a break. (laughs) The college sports news cycle is ridiculous right now. I mean, we probably won't even get into the new revelations in the Bob Huggins drama with West Virginia tonight. That probably is worthy of 15 to 20 minutes of discussion on its own. Um, but while, you know, you've had this whole Pat Fitzgerald situation happening at Northwestern, there's a whole other ordeal happening in Morgantown now. There is too, far too much happening for, for early July, and we, we all just need college football back, I think. Yeah, all I have to say currently about West Virginia and the Bob Hogan situation is that anytime we're in a situation like this, the first thing that comes to mind is that no matter how this plays out, the biggest winner in the end will always be a lawyer. So <laughs> that certainly appears to be the case in this one. That it does. Well, we've had plenty of lawyers involved in college sports for years. Um, I'm going to lead us off with scandals. This one is, I would say, near and dear to my heart, um, but not as near and dear as I, I wish it could have been. And that's North Carolina men's basketball. Like, this is a a slam dunk layup. I knew I was going to go with this one. For those who don't know, North Carolina ran paper classes. Like, all they had to do was turn their paper in, and they got an A. That's essentially what it was. There was very little actual academic rigor. It was essentially an independent study. Just write a paper on essentially whatever you want to do within a, a very wide scope. And you pass the class. Full credit hours, full everything. It's a joke. And this didn't just start, you know, a few years ago. I think the resolution came out in 2017. I went back. There was a CNN report from 2014 on this whole scandal that says it even started probably five or ten years before that. So this is a thing that was absolutely happening and absolutely tainted the Tyler Hansbrough National Championship. I guarantee it. There are players on that team who weren't taking real classes at the time. That just happened. So this continued to happen and continued to go on uh, with nothing being done, not even a slap on the wrist, until someone finally reported it. Rashad McCants was out there saying he got paid um, to essentially not go to class, right? It was simple. Uh, The podcast is out there. Um, But the NCAA Committee on Infractions said that the classes disproportionately favored student-athletes' enrollments. They had a recognizable positive impact on the GPAs, and that officials in the university's academic advising unit essentially colluded with the Afro-American Studies Department to benefit student-athletes, but they got away with it because they let other non-athletes in the classes. If that's all it takes to get away with it... 
what are we doing? Uh, it's a huge sham. The championships are tainted. Get rid of them. This should have been like four years of postseason bans. I'm sorry. North Carolina got off easy, and it's because of the number and the name on the front. I think North Carolina, I mean, yeah, punishment-wise, they got off easy. And part of that is probably financial reasons of, you know, North Carolina is one of the big cash cows in the in college athletics. But they did still have to suffer. I think it's kind of sad to say in hindsight, but probably the biggest, you know, penalty or punishment they faced was probably indirectly losing like Brandon Ingram to Duke in for the 2016 year. Cause I know he, I remember he was kind of a Carolina lead, but then there was so, there was so much uncertainty for so long about is Carolina going to get any sort of postseason ban or anything that it did actually hurt their recruiting for a while. But then again, because there was no actual punishment, I mean, they were able to bounce back pretty quickly in 2016 and 17. Sure happened. <laughs> but so, yeah, it just seems like the biggest punishment. Uh, and you see this across the board with a lot of the blue blood schools uh, looking at Kansas uh, <laughs> as the other here. Uh, the only like punishment quote unquote they're getting is like uncertainty in recruiting and like, oh, maybe your like top 10 five-star won't commit and go somewhere else because he feels a little bit like thrown off because of some of this. Really, that's what it comes down to a lot at a lot of these places. And yeah, North Carolina, it didn't really end up mattering that much. They were quite literally not fulfilling the point of an academic institution. <laughs> and one uh, that prides itself on being one. Like North Carolina thinks it could join the Big Ten with its academic rigor. Missouri football had something similar going on. They self-reported, they got rid of the class, and they got a postseason ban. North Carolina just got a, oh no, we'll get a five-star next year, to your point. Yeah. Self do, you guys, do you guys remember the Rosa Parks paper from this scandal? It sounds familiar. Yeah. Fill me in. It It is one of the funniest things. I just looked it up when Austin started talking about it. I don't remember which player, but an athlete wrote a one-paragraph paper, and it, it even says at the top, it says AFAM 41 final paper, Oh wow! And then the next line, Rosa Parks, my story, and then it is one paragraph, and they got an A minus on it. <laughs> Gosh! <laughs> wow, it's funny. There, I mean, there, there are quotes in this paper. Um, I don't know if they're yeah. historically accurate or not. This is, uh, man, that is that is bad. It one is. Paragraph, I, whenever I think of the scandal, that's what I think of is the the Rosa Parks paragraph. <laughs> Gosh, I. I completely forgot that existed, but that that goes to prove the point. That's a final paper that's 146 words long. You get an A minus <laughs> in the class. Ugh. it frustrates me. The other one before I throw it to you guys that will always crack me up. It was a non-scandal. Michael Avenatti. Um, oh my god! <laughs> this guy, very very famous kind of celebrity lawyer, or attorney of some sort. Came after Zion Williamson after his freshman year at Duke and saying, yep, yeah, it was pay for play. Uh, Duke paid him like $50,000, gave his mom a house and a job, uh, went to court. And basically, I, I think it was a court in New York, just said, dude, you're just doing this for attention. They didn't do anything wrong. There, there are no receipts, no paper trail. Uh, there's no actual evidence that any of this ever happened. You are literally trying to make something out of nothing. 
for your own name. Get out of here. Oh, and now he's in prison. So there's that non-scandal. Thanks, Michael. I remember I was in the DN newsroom when all this broke with Avenatti. Uh, He, I mean, I didn't even want to, that, I thought about, I was like, do we want to bring up the whole FBI scandal and how absurdly off the rails that got? (laughs) It's one of those things where when we look back like 10, 15 years from now, it'll be hilarious. But I remember Avenatti this morning. Yeah, he was, he rose to fame through all sorts of stuff. But I remember it was like the Stormy Daniels lawyer against Trump. And then he goes on this big rant about, oh, I've got Nike right where I want them. And he's tweeting all this. And then he just, the final tweet is just, and Duke, dot, dot, dot. It is still up. You can look it up. One of the, again, one of the funnier tweets. And then I remember less than an hour later, he got arrested. Literally. For extortion. It was like, <laughs> yep, you, you don't mess with Nike. <laughs> it took less than an hour. It was like, he's threatening Nike and do and one of, again, one of their bigger, you know, cash cows. And they, they shut that down right away. It was absolutely never heard it was that Andy was about (laughs) right because there's nothing there. Thank you, Michael Landon. I just noticed your, your incredible UTSA hat. Um, First of all, how was San Antonio? Second of all, what's your scandal you got for us? Yeah. San Antonio was wonderful. Great city. Uh, The Riverwalk is really cool. I had never been um, before we traveled down there and it's, it's very hot, very humid. Uh, I learned that quite quickly. San Antonio in July is not super pleasant. I don't know, you know, if I was ex- probably shouldn't have expected anything different. But the Red Rock is really cool. Like there isn't really very many places or there aren't really very many places in America that are sort of like that with obviously a downtown area. But it's so funny because you have like the street side facing of all these buildings and then the same buildings, but just lower down on the river. It's really cool. Tons of great food. Uh, breakfast tacos, of course, were fantastic. Uh, the Tex-Mex cuisine in San Antonio is incredible. And yeah, a very neat place. 10 out of 10 would recommend. And we saw the Alamo, which also hey. cool. very uh, historical, historical building there. Learned a lot of good old American history uh, there. Did not know that that is where Davy Crockett uh, ultimately passed away. was in that battle. So there you go. Piece of history for you. Um, College basketball history. Yeah. (laughs) Um, For the scandal. I mean, I could talk about Oklahoma state. Um, That would probably, my thoughts there would probably be a little bit too unhinged speaking on the, (laughs) as part of the FBI investigation that got off, got off the rails. Oklahoma state was definitely a casualty of that. Um, But I went more off the grid and obscure um, because this afternoon I was, you know, perusing the internet and I came across a list on Wikipedia actually, which, you know, reputable or not, whatever. It's a good starting Um, point. But of the most, vacated games total number of vacated games in the history of college basketball i don't know who i was expecting to be at the top probably like a louisville or a memphis just based on like my knowledge of recent college probably up there (laughs) yeah um but the top school was northern colorado i was like okay i've got to dig into this and figure out why northern colorado is at the top of this list um so they do top the list with 153 total vacated games which occurred between the year (laughs) 2010 and 2015, all of their games from this time period were vacated. Every um, one? Every single one of them. <laughs> uh, and it, it is on a similar line uh, to uh, the North Carolina scandal. Uh, but there's a bit of a backstory here. So in 2010, uh, 
then head coach, uh, then former assistant Northern Colorado coach, BJ Hill, was about to embark, embark on this great journey. Uh, he was an assistant at Northern Colorado for three seasons under uh, former head coach Tad Boyle, who has been at Colorado since leaving uh, NOCO after the 2009-2010 season. They went 25-8. and eight. Uh, Hill, who was an assistant for a couple of years, was promoted to head coach, uh, and it was his first coaching gig at the Division One level. And it started really well. So his first season in charge, that first season in 2010-2011, after they went 25-8, and eight, they Northern Colorado goes 21-11. and 11, They go 13-3 and three in conference. They make the NCAA tournament as a 15 seed. They lost, but pretty good, all things considered, for his first season. But um, in, in doing some research, I found multiple great articles about this. But according to a CBS affiliate in Colorado, Hill was feeling a lot of pressure to live up to sort of the standard that Boyle had set. He wasn't there for very long, but I guess he just felt really compelled to win. Um, so as one does when trying to match expectations set by a predecessor, uh, you have your have you and your staff complete coursework for players, pay for prospects classes, and arrange for off-campus practice sessions with an academically ineligible student athlete. The TLDR is that BJ Hill was recruiting players to Northern Colorado that were not even close to being academically eligible and having him and his staffers and trainers take classes for these people, pass them, pay for these classes so that players could play. It's pretty incredible. An article from the Greeley Tribune says that Hill coerced an athletic trainer to complete work for a biology course that the trainer thought was for the benefit of one of Hill's family members, but it was actually for a player. Uh, he directed members of his staff to pay for 11 online courses uh, for members of his team and shelled out nearly seven grand in impermissible recruiting benefits. Um, yeah, not good at all levels wow. there. <laughs> there they were just taking classes from players uh he had assistants gas athletic trainers like i said everyone was in on this act they got hit uh with nine violations in total and eight level ones from the oh, ncaa God. they did uh they did self-report which in the ncaa report says that that kind of saved a lot of face for northern colorado because they could have been much worse off had they not done that uh it sort of sounds like from all that i gathered hill was a rogue actor in this instance and the university really didn't have much clue as to what was going on um they did ban themselves from the 2016-17 postseason hill was fired and the entire coaching staff um, and the other few things to note, they had to return all the money for its appearance in the 2011 NCAA tournament, oh. which is kind of a low blow. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it mostly it was just vacation of wins, uh, from all of the games in which those ineligible student athletes participated, which was 2010 through 2015. And, my favorite part, I think, in all of this is that Northern Colorado was also really bad <laughs> during this time period after that first year um, in which it made the NCAA tournament, which, you know, using some context clues could be argued that it was a lot of Tad Boyle's recruits and players that did that heavy lifting. Uh, they had just one winning record in the last five years of Hill's tenure. So they made the NCAA tournament the first year. Then they only had one winning season after that, which was an 18 and 14 season in 2013-14 included in that are a 9 and 19 season and a 10 and 21 season so not only did northern colorado cheat and have you know a unc type 
taking, you know, academic fraud. They also were bad. Like, how are you going to cheat? <laughs> and then also just, like, be a bad basketball team. So uh, really tough scene for Northern Colorado. I learned a great deal. It was awesome to get into it and read a little bit more. And also, uh, BJ Hill was levied a six-year show cause by the NCAA <laughs> that started December 15th, 2017, and ended uh, December 14th. Or, wait, no, ends, right? Ends December yeah. 2023. So BJ Hill could almost like coach a college basketball program again. Um, should whoever, you know, want to get into that mess. But yeah, that's what I learned about Northern Colorado basketball. It's a little off the grid, but I, uh, I, I had fun. I had fun digging into that a little bit more because it really is just a wild, like absolutely throwing aside of NCAA rules and regulations. You almost have to respect it, but then you can't because of how bad they were. So that's what I <laughs> I respect the amount of coursework that the staff did for those guys. That is, that's incredible. Somebody needs to hire that man, maybe as an academic advisor or something. Like, I wonder what he's been up to. Like, is he in the NBA or something? I, I can't find much. There's a, there's a Buffalo Bills player with the same name as him. So I, I haven't found anything on what he's, he's currently up to. You look at this guy and he looks like the type of guy that would do something like that. Like, like absolutely. He has that kind of smug grin on his face. Oh. Like, he just looks like the type of guy, like, yeah, we'll do that. But what parent wants to do their kid's homework, let alone a basketball coach, do his player's homework? Like, you leave school for a reason, and it's not to do more school. These poor GAs were not paid enough money. That's what I've learned. And these assistant coaches, it is that is just a ridiculous amount of of school that they had to do. I I really can't (laughs) believe that is just so that's just so much work. My I found his Twitter account. Oh, is it good? Bio, it says recovering college basketball coach, and he's fairly accurate. He he does a lot of quote tweets and things like that. My favorite How active, I mean, yeah, <laughs> not accurate. My favorite thing I pulled up the NCAA's report on it, and uh, the third paragraph is a, a North Carolina esque paragraph. It, it's one sentence long. It says, the panel commended Northern Colorado for its exemplary cooperation throughout the processing of this case. <laughs> Good job, Bears. <laughs> the other thing I found since you brought this up is apparently one of those wins they vacated, they did win at Kansas State to open the 2013-14 season, which wow. K-State was a, a tournament team that year with Bruce Weber. So <laughs> they, they did have one nice win in that time. Oh, that's a sucky one to give back. Yeah, they won in the Octagon of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> I did look Octagon. it up, too. That that team that uh, beat Northern Colorado in the NCAA tournament was uh, two-seeded San Diego State. Uh, they beat Northern Colorado, they beat Temple, and they ended up losing to UConn. That team, yep. that team, San Diego State, led by three future NBA players, Jamal Franklin, Malcolm Thomas, and sophomore Kawhi Leonard, who averaged a double-double that year. He's a part of history. Yeah, I remember that UConn-San Diego State game was was pretty awesome. <laughs> I always forget that San Diego State was a two-seed that year, though. They went- Yeah, those teams are something else. That was the peak of the Mountain West there with uh, them and then, like, Jimmer and BYU being also really good. That was a, that was a great time to be alive. Ends really up, was. Ends up 74-67 UConn wins. Um, UConn led, of course, by Kemba Walker. Uh, 36 in that game. Jeremy Lamb had 24. Uh, if I said the name Alex Oriaki, I think we both immediately know who that guy is. Roscoe Smith 
and UConn legend Tyler Olander. Yeah, I, I remember that team vividly. They, uh, yeah, they took out Kentucky in the Final Four that year. That was uh, another. Oh, oh, yeah, and that was the dreaded Houston Final Four, where just nobody. It was yeah, nobody scored. It was terrible. So <laughs> yeah, that was that- San Diego State or Northern Colorado could have stopped that. Uh, Landon thank you for that look into northern Colorado that was absolutely incredible well done of course I I try my best thank you (laughs) all right Matt where are you going all right well I think it's kind of crazy that you know we're talking about we each got to pick our favorite or our favorite college basketball scandals and all three of us have ended up picking academic scandals like Uh the most boring type of like scandal that we have in the sport, <laughs> but all three are well-deserved for both either their impact or just, you know, the sheer interestingness of, you know, what went down. Um, but before I get into mine, I do want to shout out some other ones. Uh, Louisville, plenty to, to go around, but uh, uh, the strippers in the dorm room was one that happened. Uh, a lot of that can't be discussed on the radio anyways. <laughs> And I did see, you know how on your For You page on Twitter, sometimes you get like those like suggested like threads or something mm-hmm. of like, you'll never believe this. Yeah. I got one of those for, it was like, you'll never believe how this team used to cheat to recruit in college basketball. And it was uh, a picture of Rick Patino <laughs> and like the Louisville mascot. And I looked through it and it, I mean, they missed half the good stuff, but do some research on that one. Also found it funny that uh, I can't remember the recruit's name, but I remember he was one of the guys caught up in the FBI scandal. He committed to Louisville and Rick Pitino was like, yeah, I got this five-star and barely had to do anything. And then it turns out Adidas was paying him a bunch of money to go to Louisville. So Louisville's had some hilarious ones over the years. Um, I mean, in a more serious note, the Baylor one uh, with Dave List before Scott Drew got there, that's uh, mm-hmm. That's another bad one. Uh, Kentucky's had a slew of scandals over the year. They had the death penalty for a year in the 50s and uh, for point shaving and were kind of one of the big reasons why the NCAA tournament wasn't played in Madison Square Garden for like over 50 years until the 2010s. Um, Kentucky also was on like a four-year postseason ban at the end of the 80s and early 90s. Uh, for all sorts of cheating under our mutual coach, Eddie Sutton. Um, So yeah, Kentucky's had their scandals too, but I'm going to go with one that I found out about last, I think, yeah, it would have been last year that just kind of blew my mind of the, you know, the sliding doors effect of it all. And that's the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So in the early, in the 1990s, they actually, I think it was, 1986, Minnesota hires this guy named Clem Haskins. He actually was one of the first African-American athletes, one of two, that broke the color barrier for Western Kentucky University. So he grew up in Kentucky, played basketball at Western Kentucky. They were pretty good back in the 60s. They actually almost made a Final Four, I think, when he was there. I found out doing some research. And then he became a coach at Western Kentucky and was good enough that Minnesota hired him in 1986. And he was really good at Minnesota. He made an Elite Eight in 1990. They made the 1997 Final Four. 
And then in, which was, I think, yeah, that's their only final four. Again, another random thing that Minnesota was in a final four at it. Not that long ago, really. <laughs> um, and then they also won the NIT over Penn State in 1998. So he, he was, yeah, he was, I mean, for a program that's been around for like 120, 30 years, whatever, he was their second all-time winningest coach after just 13 years, I believe. <laughs> and they were, 1999, they're having an okay year. They were 17 and 10, got a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. And the day before the tournament starts, the St. Paul Pioneer Press releases, breaks this story about how there's this academic advisor, her name's Jan Gangeloff, who claimed to write over and do over 400 assignments for <laughs> Minnesota basketball players over the last six, like five or six years uh, for 18 players. Yeah, from 1994 oh to 1998. Um the reaction to this was kind of similar to what we just saw with Northwestern in that I kind of forgot that, uh, you know, wrestler and actor Jesse Ventura was once the governor of Minnesota, okay. but he came out and called it sensational journalism. People were mad that this came out the day before the NCAA tournament. And basically uh, what happened was then they had to suspend four players, including two starters for the, like indefinitely, and their first game was against 10th-seeded Gonzaga. They end up losing the game, 75-63. Then Gonzaga upsets Stanford, and then they upset 6th-seeded Florida in the Sweet 16, who also got a break because North Carolina got upset by Weber State. Uh Um, So then Gonzaga makes it to the Elite Eight to play UConn, and this is 1999, so that was the UConn team that – Beat Duke. Uh, cost Duke, one of Duke's best teams of all time, a national title. Mm-hmm. UConn wins a actually a pretty close game over Gonzaga. That was like their first bit of success, the Cinderella run. And it was all started because Minnesota did not have, because of the scandal breaking the day before the tournament, and they just happened to be playing Minnesota. So then there's a huge, huge investigation by the NCAA. Again, once again, I think they uh, they commended Minnesota for just their cooperation, as the NCAA does, as is tradition. Um, the NCAA Kansas didn't get commended. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, then Haskins, Clem Haskins, is forced to resign in June. And so it's the middle of June, kind of hard to find a basketball coach. And Minnesota decides, decides, why don't we just hire Gonzaga's basketball coach? And they hire Dan Monson in the middle. I think it was in July, actually. So then Gonzaga's without a coach. And it's like, well, we just had this big miracle run. And now we lose our coach, you know, not in the middle of the offseason. What we're going to do, we'll just promote Mark Few to be our new head coach. What could go wrong? And uh, so basically now Mark Few is still like, he built his Gonzaga empire. It would have probably happened eventually, but he built it. Like it all started because of this academic scandal. Uh, Haskins, another funny bit on this, he was bought out for his contract was bought out for 1.5 million. But then after, uh, you know, more of the investigation came out, they found out that he was 
paying uh, Gangloff, the advisor, $3,000 to do this, which honestly, she could have charged more for what she was doing. And <laughs> I mean, to keep these players eligible and to get them to a final four, like that probably made, I mean, that did make the University of Minnesota a lot of, a lot of money. Uh, and just like Northern Colorado, they had to give back all of their NCAA tournament appearance money for that. And Haskins also got, I believe, a six-year show cause penalty. Actually, no. Haskins was actually until 2007. So it was, yeah, seven years. Uh, And then he just retired. He's still alive. He's 80 years old. He pulled a Bill Moose and is on a ranch in Kentucky. So he got out of it. Uh, Don Munson didn't really have the best career at at Minnesota. Mark Few has done pretty well for himself at Gonzaga. So that's just one of those crazy uh, sliding doors moments of, you know, a scandal for just a random college basketball team that, uh, you know, kind of changed the the landscape of college basketball and took Minnesota from like, they were a, they were kind of the Wisconsin of the big 10 in the nineties where they were a top four team every year. And uh, with, you know, a couple of deep tournament runs, and they were not that – they were in the cellar for pretty much all of the, the 2000s after that scandal. So these, that's what I think. <laughs> these six- and seven-year show causes are absolutely incredible. Like, you think of a one and, like, a five, maybe, but to both your guys' scandals have six-year show causes? That's insane. That's so much time. It must be because academics have to be a little easier to, you know – there's so much of a paper trail with it that it's a lot easier to catch and, you know, enforce than, you know, paying players or things like that. Right. Yeah. A couple honorable mentions. I'm kind of surprised none of us went after uh, Derek Rose failing his ACT three times and having someone else take it for him. And we mentioned one Rick, but Rick Stansbury's entire existence. Like the man spells his last name with dollar signs instead of S's. <laughs> He's still going. He just got another, he got... Yeah, he got like a 25-year-old basketball player from Louisiana, Jordan Brown, I think his name is, to commit to Memphis. So it's like he's, <laughs> we haven't really pinned that much to him either yet. Which is insane. Like, it's perfect that he's at Memphis now. Like, Rick Stansbury oh, yeah. absolutely belongs at Memphis. I'm, I'm okay with throwing Memphis State on the uniforms this year just because Rick Stansbury's back there. <laughs> Like, let's just do that. Um, Good stuff there, guys. I'm going to keep you around because you are the actual journalists, the ones that actually do hard work. I know you from your time with the Daily Nebraska, and that's where we cross paths. You guys doing actual reporting, me just kind of hanging out in the background. So we do want to save some time for everything going on at Northwestern. And uh, shout out the Daily Northwestern. So stick around. We'll do that to wrap up Corner 3 next. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. More college basketball analysis after this timeout. Back to the corner three on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Back one final time before we get you over to Heart of a Husker with the captain himself for Sean Jackson. He'll be there at 8 or uh, shortly thereafter. A couple other scandals came to mind during the break. I think of Kelvin Sampson, who made a bajillion phone calls. Um, and then proceeded to lie about it. And everyone's favorite, Bruce Pearl, is a guy I can't believe we mentioned. 
Yeah, that was one that as soon as we got off, went to commercial, I couldn't believe I forgot about it. Uh, I mean, everyone likes to talk about the barbecue with Aaron Kraft, but the one I'm going back to is from the eight, late 80s when Bruce Pearl is a, was an assistant at Iowa, and he was recruiting. Uh, Bruce Pearl was at Iowa? That's a scandal in of itself. Yeah, he was an assistant coach at Iowa. He was really young at the time. He would have been hmm. – uh, he would have been in his late twenties. So about our age actually. Um, and so he was com- in a recruiting battle with Illinois for this top prospect named Dion Thomas from Chicago. Uh, basically Dion Thomas eventually picks Illinois, which makes sense. They were on a roll back then. I think they had just came off a of final four appearance. And so he calls Dion Thomas after the fact and secretly records a phone conversation with Thomas asking him, did Illinois give you an SUV in cash? Like, did they offer you an SUV in cash to come to Illinois? And Thomas's version of this was pretty much saying, yeah, I like to get him off the phone. I said, yes. So then Pearl takes this and then reports, sends these copy of the tapes or the copy of the tapes to the NCAA and like pretty much snitches on Illinois. Uh, The NCAA comes investigating they make thomas take a polygraph test where he denied the accusation and it turned out he passed it so the ncaa did not find illinois guilty of any wrongdoing but they because they were snooping around they found a few other things and eventually illinois the next year did get a one-year postseason ban because bruce pearl was you know snitching and recording tapes and uh a little funny you know Epilogue to it is uh, uh, Deion Thomas then became an assistant coach for Illinois Chicago in the Horizon League when Bruce Pearl was coaching at UW-Milwaukee. And the two never, they refused to shake hands every time they played because uh, in Thomas's words, he said, it's hard to forgive a snake. Yeah. um, And I also remember as a child, uh, Bruce Pearl did take UWM-Milwaukee to the Sweet 16 and they faced uh, that awesome Illinois team that we were talking about last week. Uh, they got blown out, but Bruce Pearl needed extra security because, I mean, the game was played in Chicago, and Illinois fans did not forget about the the snitching. So just a, another kind of hilarious college basketball story that people forget about. Uh, less incredible, less college basketball, to your Chicago point, Northwestern, everything going down there, um, uh, we had the internal investigation, but a lot more came out thanks to student journalists. And I won't put myself in that boat. I did so little of that, but but you guys have been there. So how do you take the Daily Northwestern breaking all this news and, you know, helping lead to the firing of Pat Fitzgerald? Yeah, I mean, the you alluded to this, Austin, but the myself and Matt... Uh, and you uh, wouldn't all be here, have the platform we have, all of these things without student journalism. You know, obviously this is a college basketball centric show, but the like crux of this whole argument, what's going on at Northwestern is student journalism based, which is a topic that the three of us hold very near and dear to our hearts. Obviously we all three worked at the Daily Nebraskan. And what I'll say is this, what's happening there is obviously a very complex and delicate situation. And still there's probably a ton that will be reported and come out. But as you know, 
and I was once, I, I still am, I'm 23, but as an 18, 19, 20 year old college student and college journalist, to have your name and your reporting be so frontward facing like that on a story of that magnitude is very, very scary. I can only imagine, you know, all the anxiety and doubt and worry that has gone along with, you know, some of this reporting tackling uh now former, I guess, Northwestern football head coach Pat Fitzgerald's um, culture uh, within the football program. And to that, I can only commend him. So kudos to what's been going on over there. Uh, the Medill kids are an interesting bunch, uh, as Matt and I, and maybe also you, Austin. I went to seen. Evanston. I broadcasted next door to him. Oh, no. Yeah, at, uh, at home games. Um, they generally all wear suits. Uh, they you know, sit in a big row of six or seven of them. They always bring a lot of people. Uh, Cause I, I covered the Nebraska Northwestern famous 50, whatever it was to seven beat down uh, a couple of years ago now um, at Memorial. And yeah, I have vivid memories of all those guys just sprawled out. Um, but regardless, you know, kudos to them for what they did. It's not easy. Um, and big win for student journalism today. Yeah, I'd say so, too. The thing that I also have been thinking about a lot this week is they're doing this in July, This all of this work and investigating. Like, I don't know if the, the three reporters and, you know, whoever else has been helping them are doing summer classes or if they're just on break or on internships or something. But I know for the DN, Daily Nebraskan, we, uh, we, we were kind of light in the summer. I would go to Big Ten Media Days if it was in Chicago. But that was kind of it for – for stories really. So, I mean, props to them for, you know, staying vigilant, even when they're, they're going. And I, I echo all the stuff about them, them being weird and, you know, <laughs> a little bit annoying. They always talk nonstop during games and we're cracking jokes and stuff, even though it's kind of nice when it's quiet, they were, it was always tough if you were sitting by the Manila guys, but honestly just props to them for, you know, doing such a good job. Cause I mean, if you mess this up and, you know, you get something wrong and it, I mean, it tarnishes the reputation of your student newspaper. It can affect, you know, future donations, especially when there's like so much money in their journalism program. If, if they didn't do this right, that could have risked future donations and, you know, just the reputation as, as a whole. So props to them. I mean, they, I kind of usually mock, you know, journalists patting other journalists on the back, but <laughs> In this case, it's warranted. Absolutely. Matt Landon, thanks as always for your time. Great work on the scandals. Fingers crossed we have some resolution on Huggins we can talk about next week because, my goodness, there has to be something coming out of that. Uh, So once again, thanks, guys. Appreciate you. For Matt and Landon, I am Austin. That'll do it for this edition of the Corner 3. Thanks for tuning in. Not done with Ticket Weeknights just yet. We've got the captain, Vershawn Jackson. He's coming up next. Heart of a Husker, don't go anywhere. VJ, your way, next. Next.